Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. We're going to take you to Kiev right now and talk to Joseph Lindsley. Uh, Joe, as you probably know, uh, the reports are that because of dwindling supplies of ammunition, it's virtually becoming impossible for Ukraine to go on the offensive. There, there's only enough to hold off the Russians and conserve supplies for defense. And that doesn't bode well for the war effort, does it? Well, Bob, no, and uh, good afternoon from Kiev. I just arrived a few hours ago by train from Kharkiv. And, you know, I love being in Kharkiv because it's such an inspiring place. Uh, You know, there were more drones coming in near the city last night, uh, Russian drones. Uh, So often there are attacks there, but the spirit is so strong uh, in that city, uh, and you get courage from it. But there is, uh, as the train was pulling into Kiev, I did have a sense of relief, thinking, oh, you know, I can kind of, I can relax a bit. I don't have to imagine missiles, uh, you know, breaking the glass, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, across from me every moment. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it, it, there is a, it is a very different feeling here. Uh, when we think about, you know, we look at the story of the you know, supplies, especially ammunition uh, for Ukraine, th- there's another piece of that that, that is, is really missed in all of the uh, media coverage and, and the political debates is that, you know, I mean, for how long is Ukraine, would Ukraine be expected to have only a defensive war? You know, just, just to keep standing there while the Russians, you know, send, you know, they have a much larger country. They have less regard for human life as they've shown. They've, you know, they have prisoners that are uh, conscripted to fight. The Russians do. And, you know, are Ukrainians just supposed to stand there and keep defending until when? You know, in, until what point? And, you know, will Kiev, you know, forever be a city that, Russian Russia will send missiles to, and you just hope that there's enough air defense supply, uh, or will there can there be a strategy to turn things around and to move for victory? And so you know this this is what gets missed. And I think you know it's the 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 politicians uh, who say they support Ukraine, many of them are afraid of of Russia, and yeah. and they're afraid of pushing things, and so they they. They, they, they're, they're, there's a lot of turmoil and fear right now. I think this is one reason why, uh, you know, a few months ago, the British Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, why he made David Cameron uh, in that extraordinary move. He took a, the former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and uh, he wanted him in the government. And to do that, he had to make David Cameron into a lord in the House of Lords. A very extraordinary move because he wanted some senior statesman. He wanted someone who uh, doesn't have to ever be, uh, you know, doesn't have to ever have an election ever again. Uh, someone that's removed from sort of the, 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 you know, political turmoil, who's able to be very clear about the threat that's faced. And uh, David Cameron was, he spoke very eloquently a few days ago in the United Nations, uh, laying out the case that he said, I mean, yeah, of course, we need to help Ukraine because it's awful what Russia is doing to Ukraine. You know, you can watch that documentary about Mariupol and see what the Russians do. Uh, when they take territory. Uh, but then he said, but this is for the security of the world. And if Ukraine was part of Russia, just imagine the hell that would be unleashed upon the world. And at the same uh, series of meetings uh, in the United Nations, also the, the Polish foreign minister spoke very passionately uh, to the surprise of many, to, uh, to the surprise of his critics in Poland. Uh, uh, Sikorsky, the, the foreign minister, said, you know, this, th- 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 this is 
uh, the, a replay of what happened in the 20th century. Uh, and the, you know, the Eastern Europeans, he said, should remember this. Anyone who stood against the evil empire of Sovietism should, should recognize that this is the same threat that we're facing today. And what's remarkable about the for- Polish foreign minister in 2014, uh, that he, he was part of the European team that was here uh, in Kiev trying to convince the, the people that were protesting, the, you know, the entire society that was in the main square, to convince them to make a deal with the government. And there's a video uh, uh, where you can see the, the current Polish foreign minister was foreign minister back then as well. Uh, and he was telling the leaders of the Maidan, of the protests, the, the people's protests in the square, he, he said, you really need to negotiate. If you don't negotiate with the government of Yanukovych, you will all be dead soon. Hmm. And, and, and that, was the, that was the attitude of the elites in 2014. They didn't, they didn't believe that the freedom could be possible. And the Ukrainian people said, no, we're, we insist on it. You know, we've, we've wanted this for centuries, and now is our moment. And they got it for eight years, really. Uh, and now it's, you know, once again under dire threat. But to see the transformation of the Polish foreign minister who was telling the Ukrainians to tone down their freedom in 2014 to his passionate speech uh, uh, at the UN a couple of days ago is remarkable. But, but, but even then, you know, the, 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 you can have all the great speechifying in the world and you can talk about sending uh, defensive ammunition. But if, if the West and, the, you know, the powerful free nations will not send attack hims, uh, long-range missiles, and will not give Ukraine permission to hit Russian military bases in Russia, how does this end is the, is the question. You talk about facts not reported in the news, and I came across one the other day that really, that really stood out. Of the $61 billion earmarked for Ukraine, 64% of that would flow back to the United States, back to defense contractors that, that make the weapons. Uh, and that's something that uh, you, don't, you, you don't hear about, do you, Joe? Yeah, and Bob, it's not even back. It doesn't. It doesn't ever come here. You know, it's uh, and, and and so much. I mean, in those spending packages, uh, the military aid is the valuation, the estimated value of old equipment that the United States is sending to Ukraine. So stuff that was paid for a long time ago. The only new cost are of transporting it here, but that's often offset by the cost of storing uh, that equipment in the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, if you look at it, it's really it's not it's nowhere near as much as it seems. And then there's always the replacement value. Uh, so so mo- most of that money is for the United States to buy new equipment for us, which, by the way, if there was no war, if, there was no, if Russia was not waging war in Ukraine, you know, the Pentagon is always buying new weapons. So a lot of this money we would be spending anyway. Uh, and, and, you know, this is very important to, to look at that. You know, it's not sort of something, I mean, it's more than we would normally spend, but not much more. And most of it is to the benefit of the U.S. And so that... This is uh, this gets lost, and as I think about, you know, I mean, America has the weapons that you know that could turn this around. Uh, Joe, the you know the, the Biden administration, even without further approval from Congress, can send attackums as they have done before, as they did when President Zelensky visited Washington in September. They could send more weapons now. They don't. So there's certain things you can blame on Congress, but there's certain things the White House can do that they won't. And I think about you know when I was in Kremlitorsk and Donbass. A couple of days ago, uh, I was with friends and they were Ukrainian civilians uh, delivering drones and electronic warfare technology uh, to the front. Uh, so you see this amazing effort of just the people while they're waiting and hoping for the bigger weapons uh, to to, you know, to, to get the stuff the guys need at the front. 
And I want to share with you these words of this Ukrainian poet, Hauna Kruk. Uh, she wrote a poem about thermal imagers. Uh, it's called Human Warmth. She says, and the thermal imagers, you know, help you find the enemy. She said, choosing a thermal sensor or night vision device, you scroll and wonder through all these models designed for tracking animals and spotting shy birds in the wild. And then in horror, through those designed for hunting, for neither beast nor bird deserves this. Hmm. Uh, she's, you know, speaking about, you know, these are made for hunting, but now for hunting animals, but now they're used to hunt uh, humans. And she talks about the idea of heat. How often did it warm you in the trenches, sheltering you from the roaring missiles, your, your, your heat, your body heat? And then she says, the gophers, the weasels, the moles are so small and unremarkable. They don't count. You know, you, you can see the little, little signs of heat. You're looking for the human heat. And then she writes, taking aim, you must remember, human warmth is special. It can kill. Hmm. And, the, you know, the paradoxes we see here, but this, uh, you know, just, uh, that can take you to the scene of being the Ukrainian soldier there at the front line, trying to hold the line, using the thermal imager, never having wanted to kill a person and having to do it now. And meanwhile, those with the real weapons will not send them. Hmm. And, and this is the difficult reality everyone's in here. Let me acknowledge that uh, occasionally now we get emails and texts like this one. I think it's time to stop talking to Joseph Lindsley. He seems like a very nice guy, but we don't want to fund this war anymore, and we don't need to hear his fundraising propaganda anymore. And I know you you get a little bit of that too, uh, Joseph. And as I've mentioned before, though, for every one of those, we get about 25 uh, positive messages. But uh, people don't understand that... Um, Ukraine, let's see, uh, since Russia invaded Ukraine a couple, two years ago, industrial production in the United States defense and space sector has surged 17.5 percent. And that number comes from from the Fed. So I think if more of these facts uh, got out there, people would be able to make a more uh, a better decision and a more informed decision about what we should do here. I hope so, Bob, and, and even just to, you know, find some inspiration from these stories here. And, yeah, make your own choice on how you want to spend uh, your tax money. Uh, but mm-hmm. the best we can do is definitely share the reality. That's why I'm grateful for this uh, conversation every day. And that's why I, I travel this country from east to west to, to try to share what it's to bring you here so you can make your own decisions. We appreciate that, uh, Joseph. Uh, keep the faith. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Until tomorrow. Thank you, Bob.